Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and making his Second Tier debut, ladies and gentlemen, we're joined by the man who was called Mr. Championship on Twitter recently. He vlogs relentlessly on all things to do with the Second Tier. It's Benjamin Bloom. Benjamin, hello. All the things I've been called on Twitter, probably even in the last... Even in the last week, that is that is the kindest. Thank you, Mr. Mr. Championship. Um, very, very happy to be here. How does it feel to be known as Mr. Championship? It's a bit embarrassing, really, because you, you want, you'd want to be Mr. Premier League, Mr. Champions League. Um, yeah, when you talk about players that spend their whole career in the championship, Luke Chambers, Richard Keogh, you know, those kind of classic <laughs> people. Yeah, you know, work a day, decent footballer, but it's... it's look, Anyone knows who I am, that's very, very flattering. It's lovely, isn't it? Uh, well, as always on the show, we're also joined by the Matt Letizia. It's by Paul Merson. It's Justin Peach. <laughs> Open that Pandora's box yeah, straight away. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to, you know, be degraded somehow. But that's fine. That's why I'm here. How does it feel not to be known as Mr. Championship, Justin? I'm, I'm not upset. You know, if I was Mr. Second Tier, that might be better. You can be known as Mr. Second Tier. I'll yeah. be Mrs. Second Tier. <laughs> that, that, that's how it should work going forward, yeah. Mr. and Mrs. Well, second Tier. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the Meets episodes you've had over the past few weeks with Sean Barker, Matt Mills, Nader Manua. If you haven't listened to them yet, they're still very much available for your listening pleasure. Well, in this episode, we're going to go through some of the interesting bits of transfer business that's happened since we last spoke. So if your side doesn't feature here, then we've either already spoken about it before or it's not interesting enough. Either way, we'll get on to some of the big bits of business. So the most interesting one that's really happened so far is with QPR, but it's not anyone coming in to the Kai and Prince Foundation Stadium. It's someone going out and it's Eberichi Easy. He's left to go to Crystal Palace for £20 million. Benjamin, what is your reaction to this move? Well, we knew he was going to go at some point. We thought it would end up being from London to London because there were links with, um, you know, basically every London club that either had parachute money or Premier League TV money. Um, Really enjoyed watching him. First saw him um, for Steve McLaren's QPR. Um, He was playing number, playing in the number 10, playing against um, Ipswich. Obviously that was a season where we were terrible. And um, then um, last season was kind of the breakout, wasn't it? You know, superb numbers just kind of shifted over to the left. Um, we've seen this a lot where the number 10 isn't really the number 10 anymore with a Buendia coming in from one side or a Hernandez coming in from one side. Shifts over to the left-hand side. I think Warburton was a good um, match for him because he's a very sort of attacking manager. 
And he was, he was brilliant last year. Um, lovely, lovely player. And then, of course, when the whole world was watching on that ridiculous last day of the season, just I love everything about that. The most impudent goal you'll see all season where it's, right, you're through. What are you going to do? And I always say that I've heard Ian Wright say this in his book about going cold. And they showed a slow motion of Eze. I'm talking about the goal at West Brom on the last day of the season. And you can literally see him run onto this ball, see where the keeper is, and then just every fibre of his body goes cold. He relaxes and then just with no effort whatsoever, just clips the ball over the keeper into the top corner. Brilliant player. Um, And I always say it's not a bad thing in the championship to sell your best player. We've seen Norwich sell Madison and Leeds over the years with uh, Chris Wood and Ronaldo Vieira and Jack Clark and... Um, you can pretty much name every promoted team sells one. How do you reinvest them? I'm not saying QPR are going to get promoted now. They've sold him, by the way. I'm just saying that even the teams that win the championship sell their best player. How do they reinvest the money now? What do they do? Um, and can they keep Bright Samuel and um, Ilias Chair as well now? So, um, yeah, but I think a good, good deal all round. Good price, good for the player, good for both clubs. Yeah, I was going to say, Justin, £20 million seems to represent a good deal for both sides and also easy himself. No, absolutely. You know, Crystal Palace need young talent and, you know, Everage Easy fills that void. And obviously £20 million, they can reinvest that money into the squad, you know, especially at this current time where transfer fees aren't going to be monumental, um, especially at championship level. And, you know, team, uh, teams will have a bit more... They'll be a bit more strict with themselves. They'll walk away from deals that they would have probably made a year ago. But, you know, QPR having money is something that hasn't happened for a while. So it would be interesting to see who they bring in and where they strengthen. Because as as Ben mentioned, the effortless talent um, Everage Easy had was, was wonderful to watch all the way through the season. You know, and replacing that is going to be so difficult. But they've got £20 million. Well give or take 20 million pounds they've already started to spend in that so really interesting couple of weeks coming up for QPR yeah well one player that I've brought in is Lyndon Dykes the Australian striker from Livingston got 11 goals in the Scottish Premiership last season so be interested to see how he goes on one team that's been very busy so far this summer is Stoke they brought in Stephen Fletcher Morgan Fox John Obi McKell and James Chester. Justin, what do you make of those so far? Which one is the transfer that really stands out to you? I'll be honest with you. They all make me wince a little bit. <laughs> In a good way? Or? I, don't, I don't know. Just like, hmm, I don't know if that's going to work out because you look at Fletcher, <laughs> Mikel and Chester all over 30. Um, Fletcher's got a sketchy injury record. Chester, we know, has struggled since that final season at Villa. Um, sorry, the season there in the Championship. Morgan Fox had a bit of a, we're saying this at the age, he's 26 now, a breakout season last season for Sheffield Wednesday, like his most consistent run of form in games. And then Mikel has been there and done it, but at the age of 33, are his best years behind him. Mm. You know, what direction is Stoke going in with these signings? I, I really don't know. But, you know, Mike O'Neill, Northern Ireland teams, very experienced players. You know, Chris Baird was still getting caps at the age of 35, 36, for example. He likes his experienced players because obviously they know what they're doing. They, they can follow instructions. Um, and that's really where Michael O'Neill is, you know, that's where his value is as a manager is, is tactical ability and giving out strict instructions to players and 
they're they're obviously going to fill the bill. But as I say, makes me wince a little bit. I'm not sure I agree with you, Justin. I mean, Ooh. Stephen Fletcher and Morgan Fox were both brilliant for Chef Wednesday last season. Two of the uh, only players who really stood out for them last season. Uh, Chester, admittedly, has had his injury problems and might just be kind of a squad filler. But John Oman McKell's another one who looks, well, we all know how good he was when he was at Chelsea all those years ago. And <laughs> since then, his career is kind of... He literally baths in medals. Yeah, he does. And <laughs> he, he did have that spell at Middlesbrough not too long ago, didn't he? Forgot he didn't that. pull up many trees, mm. but at the end of the day, he's not that kind of player to really pull up trees. What do you make uh, of the business they've done, Ben? Are you, are you on my side of the fence or on Justin's? Um, I probably like both of you. I've sat here the last two summers and looked at Stoke and gone, oh, okay, that makes sense. I've just brought it up. Um, Afobi, Ince, Vokes, Woods, Atebo, Klukas, McLean, Bart, <laughs> Federici, Williams um, with the first season, Tommy Smith, Liam Lindsay, Adam Davies, Stephen Ward, Nick Powell, Lee Gregory, um, Jordan Cousins. Um, what, I've just reeled off an entire squad of players who we'd all sit here and we'd go, yeah, do a job. And some of them you'd think, excellent, really, really good championship. It's just, Stoke has just become this weird enigma now of um, sort of unmanageableness, hasn't it? Particularly for, you know, Rowett and that, that first spend, you'd think, you know, they were clear favourites and it was like they lost on the first day to Leeds and just never recovered, did they? Um, I don't know. I, I, um, I really liked James Chester when he was at, when he was at Villa. Um, I believe Stephen Fletch is one of those strikers where if you pay if you play him for 35 games in the championship he'll probably score 12 to 15 goals just by playing the whip for the penalty box and you know corners and crosses and things of that nature um it looks like it makes sense but the last two seasons it looks like it's made sense at Stoke hasn't it and each manager's brought in their own players and they've all one after the other failed yeah, that, that's yeah. a that's a really good point. It, it, last two seasons, every signing has made sense. The, the transfer win has made sense, and these signings on paper do make sense. But it's just that this air of scepticism that's been brought on by the the um, underachieving over the last two years. That's probably swaying me a bit as well. And Justin, yeah. we we will all as pundits now be required to do a one to twenty four and make no mistakes. And the last two seasons, I bet you've both, same as me, have put Stoke miles away from where yeah. they actually yeah. actually finished, and then get loads of grief for it. So um, we don't talk forgi- about that. Forgi- I know, but forgive <laughs> us. Uh, well, God, look at me in Huddersfield and Millwall last year. Christ, <laughs> um, forgive our scepticism is all I'll say. Uh, speaking of that, we have got our prem- uh, championship predictions next week, so you have that to look forward to. Godspeed um, to you. Good luck. <laughs> 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 I will say, though, just before we move on, I, I do think Martin O'Neill has turned the table. Michael O'Neill. Uh, Michael O'Neill, sorry, <laughs> has turned the table at Stoke. I, I think Stephen Fletcher is a solid signing. He's someone who has just come off the back of his best season so far. How old is he, Ryan? He is getting on a bit, admittedly. But at the same time, he is get, he, 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 he does seem to be someone who seems to be getting better and better with age. So I'm all for it. It was once described that he's had more hair transplants than goals at some point. <laughs> so, born nineteen eighty-seven, so he is thirty-three. Just in what I will say is, me and you can't comment on anything. No, I know, <laughs> <laughs> and I can't. I can't seem to avoid people commenting on my hair. So there we go. We'll, we'll leave that there. 
Well, let's move on to Forrester. have also been very busy. Their latest signing is Luke Freeman, who's joined on loan, which is a very eye-catching signing. Mm. Benjamin, you're pulling a face there that says, mm. I'm impressed with that. I, I, I like that a lot, actually. Um, I, I spoke to the Forest podcast um, the other day, and they were talking about old Luke Freeman. And you, you, you kind of think about it, um, you know, he was the... Basically, we, we can go back to the Eze conversation and say that the second Freeman walked out, Eze then became the, you know, key creative force there. Um, I'm sure we've all seen Freeman play. Beautiful left foot, um, great set play guy, very creative, but would fall into that bracket of luxury player sometimes in terms of um, tracking back. And then you say, who's Nottingham Forest's manager? Like the Mr. Team Shape guy of the championship. So on the one hand, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to how you knit Sabri Lamucci and this really excellent defensive structure and a free spirit like Luke Freeman. However, the conclusion on Forest last season was they probably missed out due to the shackles and due to not having a player like Luke Freeman who would maybe take the weight off of a grabber or a lolly and, um, you know, create some chances for them. So I really like the player. I'm curious as to how it knits with the manager. I'm very interested to hear your feedback on that. Um, but I think I, that's a big thumbs up uh, from me. Um, there's some talk that uh, Thiago Silva um, and Yao Carvalho, that that might be a, um, I don't know what Mr. Marianakos, I don't know what, what Olympiacos's budget is at the moment or uh, whether they've got any openings there for some money to be um, perfectly legally moved from one country <laughs> to the other. Um, but I, 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 like, I like it a lot, um, uh, guys. Um, just, we'll just see. I just have a sneaking feeling that there has to be a lolly, a worrel or a cash. One of them has to go out at some point for, for, for mega bucks. But very eager to hear your feedback. Yeah, well, it seems like Matty Cash is the one who is most likely to head out the door. But I think Luke Freeman is, as you mentioned, going to fill that gap that has been left by Silva and Carvalho, who haven't really taken up the mantle that we're expecting there. Uh, Forrest, as we know, likes counter-attack, so they'll be hoping to put pace on the wings. And Freeman, when he was at QPR, he was very much on the wing, so I imagine he'll be almost playing behind the striker. Who that striker is, Justin, we don't know, because Lyle Taylor has signed for Forrest, and you're shaking your head because you're disappointed because I think you were ex- hoping that Lyle Taylor would go to somewhere else. Well, obviously being a Derby fan, you know, disappointing the fact that Forrest have bagged this, well, bagsman, really. Lyle Taylor is an incredible goal scorer, especially in recent seasons and he's shown how efficient he is at taking chances. You know, I, I put an article on, uh, on the Secretary website and, you know, Forrest were my number one for Lyle Taylor because it just seemed a, a, an ideal fit. And having Lyle Taylor, he's a similar striker to Graben in certain ways, um, but I think he's a bit more ruthless than than Graben. Um, it's just whether or not he can stay fit for long enough. But then, if you've got Lewis Graben as well, that's a that's a fairly good mix. Um, they're both well. You'd say Graben might be going past his peak. Lyle Taylor's going to hit his peak. You know, he's he's got a lot left to give at this at this um, at this level. And you know, with the likes of Luke Freeman supplying chances in abundance. It's. I think. I think Lyle Taylor can hit twenty goals next season easily. Well, the other players Forrest have signed is Tyler Blackett from Reading and Farod Bashiru, who's a midfielder from Malmo, and Jack Colback as well. Let's not forget. Uh, let's go into Swansea because they brought in Jamal Lowe from Wigan for eight hundred grand, which seems like an absolute steal, doesn't it, Benjamin? 
I can't talk about Wigan without literally shaking my head and feeling a little bit broken inside. That that team that we were all getting so carried away with as they were building up towards the end of last season has just been, you know, just pillaged awfully. And look, we know what administration's like. I'm an Ipswich Town fan. I saw Charlton literally just scoop up Matt Holland, Herman Herodeson, Darren Ambrose in our administration in 2002. It's just an absolute killer. But I mean, uh, I've gone to Swansea in just a a sec, if I may, but you're looking at it now. Marshall, I think Nathan Byrne will probably go as well. Um, I'm just trying to go through. Che Dunkley's gone, hasn't he? Robinson's gone. Williams has gone. Morsi will probably also go. Lowe has gone. Moore has gone. Has Kipre gone as well? Okay. You literally, yeah, the entire 11 um, now is pretty much in take out Kieran Dowell that he was on. He was on alone. It's very, very sad. But if I'm a Swansea fan, I'm really happy with this recruitment now. Um, (laughs) The issue for Swansea is that they had Mr. Cheat Code, um, Rianne Brewster on loan last season, didn't they? And um, I, (laughs) I suspect there'll be a queue of, uh, championship clubs would like to take him but it's that it's that Tammy Abraham situation again of does he try at the Premier League which Abraham did and it didn't work at Swansea funnily enough and then come back down and then absolutely boss it for Villa and now he's ready for the for the Premier League but um, I, I like I like um, Corey Smith in uh, Gway obviously was there last season Gibbs White has worked with uh, Cooper before Woodman they've got back you're trying to replace Conor Gallagher Mike Vanderhorn and um, uh, Rianne Brewster, which is, <laughs> that's pretty tricky, to be honest. That's a very good championship spine. I think they're on their way to doing it, but it's, you know, Borja Baston was too good for the championship and too expensive in the end and went out to Villa, didn't he? And Brewster was obviously brilliant. So if I'm a Swansea fan, I'm just thinking goal scorer, goal scorer now. And is another manager going to bail the Swansea owners out for never spending any cash? Yeah, well, it does seem like the striker op- uh, the striker position is the last piece of the puzzle before Swansea have a pretty decent side going into next season. Just quickly, uh, Justin, I just want to get your thoughts on Morgan Gibbs-White because that's a sign in that really stood out to me because he's been someone who has been spoken about for quite some time as someone who's quite highly rated, never really got the chance at Wolves. So this is a chance to show what he's really made of, isn't it? No, absolutely. And obviously you've got, that Steve Cooper link up. He was part of the under seventeen side that that World Cup team that won the one that won the World Cup, um, and you know Steve Cooper's track record with improving and bettering those players is there. He's been on the Wolves periphery for a couple of seasons now. Obviously, Gibbs White, and it's a chance for him to show exactly what he can do. Because again, I'm incredibly intrigued because he's not had a consistent run of games to you know showcase what he's about. And I think, as I say, that link up with with Steve Cooper will get the best out of him. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about Norwich because they've brought in Jordan Hugel and Oliver Skip. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on those two, Benjamin? Um, well, I obviously have to preface anything I say about Norwich to say that I'm an Ipswich fan, but I am not biased. But <laughs> obviously, when, when, when an Ipswich fan sees Norwich sign a striker, you just assume he's going to score 50 goals next season on the way to Norwich scoring 100 points. But no, I think... Um, Hugel, I, I like it actually. I think um, Norwich fans complained over and again about a lack of physicality in the team last season. They couldn't defend corners, etc., etc. So there's a defensive side to it. 
when they went up in 2018-19, it was Timu Puki with Jordan Rhodes as the, as the spare option. So perhaps we see something similar now where Timu Puki is still the goal scorer and um, Hugel is, I don't know, the, 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 the bench option and the big physical guy. I, mean, I can't see them changing system because um, they've brought Dowling, who will likely start at number 10, and they've got this Polish winger whose name I can't pronounce. He's presumably going to go down the left, and Buendia will be... <laughs> will be uh, shall I have a go? Uh, Premislav Plasheta, but they've spent a fair amount of money on him, so I assume it's still going to be 4-2-3-1, and Hugel is the... <laughs> he'll come in, he'll try and out-train Puki which he won't be able to because Pookie's better than him, obviously. But um, And he'll try and force his way into the team. Um, football supporters being football supporters, and we'll get this uh, alluding to uh, what Justin was saying about Forrest. Football supporters think the more strikers you put on the pitch, the more goals you score, which is just utter drivel. Mm. They'll they want Taylor and Graben to play up front together at Forrest, despite the fact that system hasn't been there. And Norwich fans will want Hugel and Pookie to play up front together, despite Daniel Farker never having done that. I think it fills a hole and it's just interesting to see a different side of Stuart Webber's recruitment now where we get in Kieran Dow, who's done the championship before we get in um, Jordan Hugel, who's done the championship before. Um, and just as an Ipswich fan, I just sit here in complete terror thinking Norwich are going to score 2.7 points per game and 110 points and win the championship at a canter. But there we go. Yeah, Justin, I'm kind of in a similar boat to Ben in the way that when I saw they signed Hugo, I thought, well, you've already got Pookie who scored, what was it, 29 goals last mm. summer in the championship. <clears throat> and also when Norwich announced the signing, they said proven champion goal, championship goal scorer. <laughs> Me and you lo- looked at each other and thought, is he a proven championship goal scorer? Mm. He's not a goal scorer at all, is he? That's no, no, literally no. not what he is, is it? Exactly. I mean, my eyebrows were raised, but then... I, I, if I'm naive enough to think that Norwich is, are going to create as many chances as they did when they went up uh, in the 18-19 season, then Hugo's going to he's going to score goals. Look at what he did with QPR last season. Who were just they were just attacked. They didn't defend. They weren't asked about defending. They just get the ball forward. And you know he put he put he put the ball in the back of net. To his credit, you know we we weren't overawed with that signing, but it's a big fee to move uh, to move um, Hugo to Norwich. Obviously, and can he live up to it? I think Sorry, happy. On, the, on the fee quickly. I've got three million quid here. I thought it was five million, so that it's yeah, it's in it's, around it's un- there. Yeah, it's it's undisclosed, isn't it? So we're yeah, I do, um I don't know honestly what the fee is, but sorry, it's, go ahead. Justin. It's still a decent fee, but you know, I think Hugo's going to be happy to be second striker to Pukey. I think he's he's going to be he's going to be used a lot this season. I think, he, but I don't think he's going to be the main man. Um, but I think he'll be all right with that. You know, he's he's pretty much he's pretty much been. In, you know, he was, he was second to, to Wells last season, for example. Justin, can I just yeah, ask you on, on Norwich, just so um, the listeners don't think it's a biased Ipswich fan talking <laughs> about him all the time, so you can answer. Surely, Buendia goes, so the attacking quality is significantly lessened than 2018. And mm. surely, Puki cannot be as lethal as he was in 2018. It is yeah. a downgrade assuming, but if they keep Buendia, then happy days for them. Away we go, 100 points, 100 goals. But uh, yeah. what, what are your thoughts? I mean, if they keep Buendia, definitely that, that, the rate of chances that are going to be created are going to be so much higher. But him leaving, that, I think that will de- well, determine how many goals Norwich score next season because 
he, I think he's automatically the best playmaker in the division. Well, best attacking playmaker, like number ten sort of player in the division. So obviously, him leaving will be it would be a detriment to, to Norwich. Yeah, definitely. Well, the other bit of business that Norwich have done is they brought in the left back Javi Quintilla on loan from Villarreal B. Justin, have you seen much of him at Villarreal B last season? Yeah, I was. Um, <laughs> I, was I had their eye follow. Watched oh, yeah. every week. Yeah. Um, he actually caused a bit of disruption because they they rushed him in without quarantining him. Did they? Yes. I so he wasn't know. quarantined. Um, I think that should be a 35-point deduction for, <laughs> for Norwich for that matter. And does that mean, does that mean um, uh, God, I've forgotten the left-back's name now. Um, oh, Lewis. Jamal Lewis um, goes out then. Potentially, yeah. I mean, you, you, well, that's another thing, you know, if, if they lose Aarons and Lewis, that's another attacking dimension gone for, for Norwich. But, you know, no one's come in for him just yet. Liverpool was sniffing, but nothing went so and Liverpool signed a left back as well didn't yeah. they so I think that's I think that's ship and sail hasn't it yeah well let's go to Cardiff because they've signed Kiefer Moore uh, from Wigan another one of the uh, people who are just leaving Wigan in their troves uh, what did you make of this one Justin this is such a good signing for Neil Harrison Cardiff City this 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 is danger to every championship defence because the amount of crosses they're going to put into the box for Kiefer Moore is just going to be on another scale. He's a, he's a, to, to, to Kiefer Moore's credit, he's not just a target man. He's got a bit more about him and there's a lot of goals in and around this Cardiff team. You look at last season, Patterson, um, Rawls, uh, Glatzel, they all scored eight or nine goals. They never really had a goal scorer and they've added another 10, 12 goal striker in there who's actually going to be a bit more given them a different dimension in that final third that they didn't have last season. And as I say, it's a dangerous signing, I think. Yeah, when I tweeted about the signing on a, the second tier Twitter, <clears throat> um, someone tweeted back saying, oh, but he's not very prolific, is he? But the thing is with Kiefer Moore, he seems to be getting better and better each season. Yeah. So I think I think this is a superb move from Cardiff. Uh, they've also brought in Jordi Assay Tutu on loan from Arsenal. He's a right back, so I presume he'll be a replacement for Dion Sanderson. Uh, let's talk about Brentford because they're expected to be signing Ivan Tony. That looks to be, uh, to be confirmed the next few days what do you make of that signing Ben if it does happen um Brentford sign player player does really well Brentford sell player for 100 billion pounds um yeah it's a, I, I think I think we've built enough trust in Brentford's recruitment um now they've just been off the off the charts good haven't they um so obviously from my Ipswich hat uh Tony is way too good for um, League One with Dembélé and Smodic at the end of last season. They destroyed Ipswich, the, the three of them. Uh, very, very good player. Um, I guess we're just quibbling on the fee now because Peterborough always sell high when it comes to strikers of a, have a history of um, of doing that with a sombre longer and uh, Marriott. There's, there's literally a Dwight Gale. There's literally a huge, um, huge list of them now, isn't it? Um, uh, Brentford just all depends on um, who goes out, doesn't it? Because traditionally, the recruitment is good, but what they pay for in the recruitment cycle is they tend to start the season badly because because of it. And I mean, like last season, we had the Ben Rama contract thing, and he didn't really play until September. And if you look, and it's all very hindsight being 2020, if they had started the season well, well, they would have been promoted automatically, wouldn't they? Um, and that does seem to be the case generally, uh, where Brentford is concerned and um, 
not 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 sure on um, Charlie Good, given that Janssen's there and Pinnock played his way and Jean Vier's there all ahead of him. But then with these Brentford signings, it's often eighteen months before they even um, you know they even come into the team. It just depends who they sell and how late they sell. Because with that window going to the end of September, if all of a sudden Rico Henry, um, just name any one of about five players, Ben Rama, Watkins, Bwema, we, we all know the names, are going out, but it's in, in October or what have you, because I think it doesn't close until um, the first week of October, does it? Then that could, that could scupper Brentford. But um, one would assume uh, if Tony comes in that others will be going out. Yeah, that's Charlie Good from Northampton for anyone who hasn't seen that move. He's a centre-back, but seemed to perform very well for Northampton as they got promotion to League One. Right, that's the end of part one. In part two, we'll look at the transfer business for Wednesday, Millwall, Birmingham, and go through some of the news from the past week, including Derby and the EFL and Reading's new manager. If you could see us recording, you would notice that Justin and I generally wear a different football shirt almost every week. There's nothing that fuels nostalgia more than an old football shirt. And guess where you can get them? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk Absolutely. I spent plenty of money there and got myself some cracking purchases. Just recently, I started sporting an AZ Outmore training shirt and a Hoffenheim training jumper. So pretty different. Exactly that. And it's not just football shirts. You can get training wear, footballs, boots and match-worn stuff from former pros. There genuinely is something for everyone, no matter which side you support. So find what you're looking for at classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in-store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to part two of the Second Tier Podcast. We're having a look through some of the transfer business from the past few weeks. Let's go to Reading, Justin. Obviously, we're going to be talking about what's been going on there a bit later on. But we'll talk about some of the transfer business that they've done uh, over the past couple of days. And that's Ovi Ajaria. He's mm. now signed permanently after a loan spell last season. Is that a good signing for Reading? I, th- I think it is. Um, we know how good... We know how good he is with the ball at his feet, but there's still, I think, a lot of his game that he needs to improve. Numbers-wise, I think, needs to improve. You look at Eberich Easy, for example, who they're similar type of players in how they just effortlessly glide past defenders. But um, Easy, again, for example, had that ruthless streak in terms of his you know, chance creation, goals and assists, um, which I think Ajaria needs to, just needs to up those numbers a bit. But, you know he's settling in at a permanent home, which is which is what he needs. Any any player that has a lot of loan spells out from a Premier League club, they tend to do better when they when they settle in. John Swift, for example, um, is is you know at Reading is is a is a perfect um, a perfect example. But it's a good signing because he's he's a player that can that can that he, he improves Reading's attack when he's in the team. So it's not it's not a bad signing, is it? Yeah, that, the, the only thing you can really hold against him, I suppose, is consistency because that's something that he's lacked massively, especially last season when we saw him perform brilliantly at times mm. and run rings around defenders, but then he'd go missing in quite a few other games. Uh, let's talk about Wednesday because uh, they've obviously got their hands full with uh, the points deduction next season, but they've done some decent business so far, haven't they? Izzy Brown and Shay Dunkley join in. What do you think of that, Ben? <laughs> I mean, Izzy Brown's just a bit of an enigma, isn't he? Because um, he'll he'll come and visit us in the championship and be incredibly awesome for short periods of um, 
time and then get injured. Um, and I'm, I'm, it's a bit weird one at Luton, wasn't it, last season? Because in the start of the season, he was clearly their best progressive passer, clearly their most attacking player, but they weren't getting many points. And then, um, obviously, the improvement under Nathan Jones was essentially without Izzy Brown. I mean, look, I love to watch a uh, number 10 who can carry the ball. Oh, the similar words that we've used for Ijaria and Eze, you know, that ability to pick a pass whilst on the move as well. So um, we know he's a quality player, but then exactly what you just said about players who have lots of loans, your Cameron Carter-Vickers syndrome, is where, where, where are they going to end up? Why hasn't someone taken this guy full-time? Why? Um, but I really, I really like him. And Che Dunkley, well, I think it's the cue for me to shake my head and feel sorry for um, Wigan again, isn't it? But um, yeah, but I'd be very interested in your predictions as to how that minus 12 as well um, manifests itself. Is that a guaranteed relegation or, um, you know, can they... Because essentially, yeah, you have to be a top eight team to finish in the bottom eight with minus 12, don't you? If that analogy makes um, any sense. But um, good luck. <laughs> and um, it's, a, it's a reasonable start, isn't it? But um, it might be more the players that have gone out that affect them more than the players that have gone in with Fox and um, Fletcher as well. Yeah, we'll give um, your, our thoughts on it where we think Wednesday will finish next season in our uh, championship predictions. Keep but, your powder uh, dry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm also going to write down Cameron Carter-Vickers syndrome. I've been planning on using that plenty of times this season. Uh, let's go to Millwall. Just now, I think it's only fitting we go to you with this one because they've signed two Derby players, Mason yeah. Bennett and Scott Malone. Uh, Malone's on loan, but Mason Bennett's moved there permanently now. What do you make of this? Um, I mean, as a, as a Derby fan, I think both players needed a fresh start. Mason Bennett stagnated massively last season. Um, you know, he's he's got ability. Um, he's he's quick. He's strong. He's he's powerful. And we, we, I just didn't know what his best position was at Derby. And I think, especially under Koku, they they needed a bit more. Hmm, this sounds harsh. A more of a, a technical, intelligent player in a sense, whereas Mason Bennett was very, you know, likes to get in behind and run at players. Um, they need someone a bit more disciplined in that, in that, in that area. Um, but I think him going to Millwall in January last season was, was good for him. It's a shame he got injured so often because you saw he was picking up goals when he was playing and he just didn't, didn't do it enough. And Scott Malone, uh, he's, and at times he was good, at times he was terrible. Um, and I think, again, it was a bit of a strange move because Derby had left-backs. Uh, last season, um, when when Lampard bought Malone in, they had Forsyth, Max Lowe, and then this season Malone's dropped behind um, Lee Buchanan, who's an 18-year-old. So that told you where 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 he was in the pecking order. And I think, as I say, both of them needed needed the move, and they're going to a good club and a very good man manager under Gary Rowett. Well, speaking of Derby, they've uh, done a few bits of business over the past couple of weeks. Uh, David Marshall is one that stands out. He's been brought in from Wigan again uh, in goal. What do you make of that move, Ben? Uh, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, they obviously didn't fancy um, uh, Keller Roos. And then Ben Hamer came in on loan, didn't he? And I, I, I guess you signed David Marshall, age 35, with his hundreds of appearances and essentially he either gives you a year, 18 months to find another keeper because he's not a long-term solution, but assuming it's not costing 
big money and wages just seems a seems a no-brainer. That one, it's just a, a championship-level, consistent goalkeeper who's going to do a good job. Yeah, steady pair of hands, I think it's fair to say. <laughs> uh, one player you're a massive fan of, Justin, Matt Clark. He's been brought back in on loan. I bet you're delighted, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I am. Um, this might be controversial, but I prefer Matt Clark over Tamori. I think he's got a bit more about his game. He's, he's a he's a powerful number one centre half, um, and he's and he's as good as he's on, on the ball as well. And I think at times he was Derby's um, best progressive passer, um, which told you the, the the issues Derby had at times last season. But he's pre Rooney, yeah, <laughs> pre Rooney, yeah. <laughs> um, but he's a, he's a he's a fantastic player, and Derby's upturn in form obviously subsided at the same time as Rooney coming in, but also happened at the same time as Clark coming back in. Um, which really went under the radar up until lockdown. Um, oh, um, Justin, how's Bielik? Uh, he gets a lot of stick from fans. I don't know why. But again, his his numbers were ridiculous in terms of ball progression, running with the ball. Um, again, best best at the club. And I think it's just about finding a position for him uh, Wait, when he comes he, back. When's he back? It'll be, it'll be probably November when he's back properly. Because that um, could be like the most total football championship centre half pairing you could get, uh, Bielik and Clark, couldn't it? Well, there's there's Tuerik as well, so I I, th- I think um, Clark is going to be playing a three, and I think Matt Clark is is a, is a perfect and Bielik is a, is that a, they're both great options for a back three. Love it! I'm getting Love excited it. even listening to it. <laughs> Total football at Pride Park. You love to see it. Uh, let's finish off then with Birmingham. They have been very busy. They brought in Jonathan Lecco, George Friend, John Terrell, <laughs> <laughs> Ivan Sanchez, who's a winger from Elche, and Andres Prieto, who's a goalkeeper from Espanyol. Which one of those signings stands out for you, Ben? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I suppose either Lecco or Terrell in uh, look this all has to be coloured by the fact that Aitor Karanka has got progressively more pragmatic since Middlesbrough and through Forest and that I I don't want to be disparaging here but we just expect Birmingham to be very hard to beat and that's going to be the first thing and you wonder then when players come in are you going to be primarily 60% defensive here and 40% 40% attacking, even with um, people like uh, Leco and Terrell. Obviously, Friend is like Mr. Championship reliable. Is it? He is actually Mr. Championship, not me. George Friend is. <laughs> um, uh, Leco will be interesting. Yeah, bit sort of big, big, rep, big reputation. Will Karanka take the take the shackles off? Because we all remember that Middlesbrough team and Constantinopolis and not conceding a goal between October and. Well, pretty much the end of the season, wasn't it? But it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, how can I say this politely? It wasn't aesthetically pleasing at times. But they were promoted. So, um, yeah, depends how they're going to be used. If that's not a very political way of getting out the question. <laughs> well, I think George Friends. I can't see him playing ahead of Christian Pedersen next season. So, I think he's kind of just there to you know fill out the squad and also he's someone that Karanka knows very well isn't he and it might just be a step into coaching maybe I don't know um uh, obviously had the bad injury last season didn't he so it might be towards the end of his career Uh, but Leco is an interesting signing Justin because one million they've signed him from West Brom for uh I think I found a stat 
earlier that he, out of all the players who are 21 or younger in the championship, only four players have got more goals and assists than him last season. And he played half the games. So it looks like this could be a decent bit of business. One million pounds is a steal for Jonathan Lecco. Let, let's let's be honest. This, this is good business for Birmingham City long term, because um, you look at what Karanka got out of Albert Adama, for example. He wasn't necessarily a brilliant player, but for one or two million pounds, whatever they paid for him, they got four or five really good years out of him, and a, a, I assume a good fee from from Villa. Um, but you know. It is a good signing, and John Terrell, I think, is a, is a tidy signing as well. A bit of a B-Tech Gaston Ramirez, but I think it's one that can one that can work for Birmingham City. But they were so easy to beat last season. I think I think Birmingham City fans would take hard to beat this season. B-Tech Gaston Ramirez. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to get a mention in there, isn't it? Eh? Good to be mentioned. Right, let's go on to some of the news that's happened recently. So in the week, Derby avoided a points deduction after a legal case by the EFL was dismissed. On the line now is football finance expert Kieran Maguire from the Price of Football podcast. Kieran, why was this case dismissed? There were two charges against Derby County. The first was that the club sold uh, Pride Park to a new company, which was set up by owner Mel Morris. And that the price charged by Derby at £81.1 million wasn't a fair market price. And so the club had artificially boosted its profits in order to comply with profitability and sustainability rules. The Independent Disciplinary Committee uh, concluded that the £81.1 million was a fair price and therefore Derby in effect had no case to answer in respect of this. Uh, There has been a lot of pressure put on the EFL by Middlesbrough and some other clubs to pursue this case, although there's no evidence that uh, the EFL did it just to appease Steve Gibson. The second charge against Derby County was in the way that they account for player transfers. Normally, if you sign a player, uh, what you do is that you spread the cost of uh, of his transfer fee evenly over the life of the the contract which he signed. So if you sign somebody for £10 million on a five-year contract, you'd you'd take 10, divide that by five, and you'd put in a £2 million cost each year in what we refer to as player transfer amortisation. And this reduces profits by £2 million in each year of the contract. What Derby have done, and this is ingenious in many ways, is that they've said, if if you look at most players, uh, the value of the player is maintained normally until around about the, the last year of the player contract where he can walk away on a Bosman at the end of that. So what Derby will have done for that £10 million player is they've said, well, we'll depreciate the player's value, but only by a little amount for the first four years of the deal. So let's say that if we sign that £10 million player five-year contract, Derby only amortise him by, let's say, £500,000 a year for four years. 
So at the end of the four years, as far as the accounts are concerned, the player is in the accounts at a value of 10 million, less four amounts of 500,000. So that gives him a figure of eight million pounds. And then in the final year of the contract, where the player values tend to tumble as we get closer and closer to the player being able to walk away on a Bosman, um, they would amortize him by eight million pounds. Now, no other clubs use such an approach. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Derby's approach is wrong. So, so Derby's accountants and their lawyers put this to the uh, IDC, the Independent Disciplinary Committee, who said, well, that seems fair enough to us. It's, it's an unusual way of dealing with things. But ultimately, what they've chosen to do, um, perhaps it isn't within the spirit of the intention of the, the profitability and sustainability rules, but it does fall within them. And therefore, Derby were cleared of those particular charges. Yeah, just going back to the stadium part of that, Chef Wednesday uh, got punished for what were very similar charges. Why did they get punished and Derby didn't? Wednesday were punished because they claimed that they'd sold their stadium in 2018 and they put through the profits on that deal in their 2018 accounts. However, it subsequently came to light that they hadn't sold the stadium and therefore they couldn't include the profits. As a result of that, uh, when the EFL did their calculations for uh, Sheffield Wednesday's profitability and sustainability figures, uh, they'd exceeded the allowable loss and therefore they they were charged or rather they were found guilty of exceeding the allowable losses and had to pay the uh, appropriate fine in the form of a points deduction. The reason why that points deduction was pushed back until 2019-20, sorry, 2020-21, uh, was due to the fact that the decision was made so late, it didn't give Sheffield Wednesday an opportunity to turn things round on the pitch uh, in the most recent season. It seems like the Derby chairman, Mel Morris, has been very shrewd about the way he's done this. And much to the annoyance of many other clubs in the league, he has been very clever, although he is bending the rules, isn't he? I guess you could call it bending the rules. Uh, another way to view it is that the rules aren't fit for purpose. Uh, EFL owners changed the rules in respect of uh, stadium sales in 2016, allowing clubs to to uh, sell stadia to, to related parties, to the club owners, and keeping the profits in the club for financial fair play purposes. So effectively encouraging such behaviour. Mel Morris applied those rules, so there's no there's no criticism of him. With respect to the uh, amortisation issue, um, HMRC, when you're doing your tax calculations of specific rules, which prevent this type of thing, this this uh, acceleration and deceleration of of costs uh, to to adjust profits. Um, so you know if if it's if HMRC can come up with rules to to stop it being manipulated, why can't the EFL? Unfortunately, the quality of the EFL rulebook is is so weak that it doesn't take uh, a, a huge effort for somebody to find a way to circumvent those rules. Kieran, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Kieran McGuire there from the Price of Football podcast. Just I just wanted to quickly get your thoughts on uh, the on the decision because you it's kind of a win-win for you because you're not a big fan of the Mel Morris administration, but at the same time you don't want Derby to get a points deduction, so you couldn't really lose in this situation. What what did you make of uh, what came out of it? Uh, I tell you what. Um, at first, I was like, "Oh God, you know, we've we've got away with it." I, I didn't really want to get away with it because I thought selling the stadium. I, I just think that Derby 
they've gone the wrong way about it. But when you look into the details, it's like, actually, this was a shoddy investigation, really poorly put together, you know, comparing the ground to um, the Globe Arena at Morecambe, for example, in terms of costs. And it's like, who's put this together? A bunch of amateurs. And what has actually made me even more angry is the fact that it's come, it's come to light that other clubs are, are footing the bill for this inept investigate what this inept work that's been throughout the EFL for however many years and it's getting worse uh, worse by the month uh, and season really Uh, it not really many words to say because it's just making me so frustrated at the fact that the EFL feels like they're getting away with incompetence again again it's yeah yeah, well, the, the, what you were mentioning there, the uh, footing the bill is, uh, well, Sky Sports say that each club in the AFL is going to be paying one million quid for this investigation that's ultimately turned up nothing. So it's quite shocking, especially with everything that's going on at the moment with clubs not being in the best financial place. But uh, let's move on then. Get ready to, for me to absolutely destroy this name. Velko Pornovic has been replaced as <laughs> uh, has replaced Mark Bowen as the Reading manager. He was most recently in charge of Chicago Fire in the MLS, and before that, he had spells coaching the Serbian youth teams. Uh, ben, what's your experience of Pornovic? Um, well, Pornovic is not a guy who's. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, um, who's, who's very familiar to me until about three days ago where um, a Reading fan DM'd me and told me that this was going to be the guy. Um, look, good luck to the guy. Um, we'll see what happens. Another Serb now along with Vladimir Ivic, who's coming at Watford. What's more, I think, the story is the hierarchy and Reading essentially with, within the space of a year. So... Jose Gomez goes, fine, that mm. didn't seem to be working, did it? Nigel Howe seemed to persuade Mark Bowen, can you just, can you just be the manager as well, um, instead of the sporting director? Um, Mark Bowen does a pretty good job. Um, I had a look, and basically 35 games, 12th place over the 35 games. So he had Reading, who were 20th under Gomez, into 12th. Um, then, look, I don't know what's been agreed with Mark Bowen. If it was, look, can you just do it to the end of the season? We don't know that, do we? So he may or may not have been harshly treated. Um, it would seem, though, if you've gone from a team that was performing at 20th to 12th under a manager, that uh, that would signify some improvement um, and that maybe you could keep going with that with Mark Bowen. So Nigel Howe has been um, retitled and is now the, the vice chairman and not the chief exec. And... Um, Dao Young Pang is now the chief exec who's worked with Dai Young, the owner. Um, and look, they might, this might all be right and the restructure might be great and Reading might have a great season, but we do tend to worry in the championship when we see instability at boardroom and executive level because it doesn't really matter who the manager is, um, owners relegate clubs. Well, the interesting thing is that there are numerous reports coming out from the local media around Reading that Mark Bowen isn't too happy with this decision because he's been asked to go back to his kind of boardroom role, um, allegedly anyway. Um, And so 
it seems like he's been quite hard done by, Justin. And we've been giving Mark Barron plenty of stick this season. You have especially. <laughs> um, because you weren't too sure about him. But he has done a half-decent job, as Ben said. And it seems like he's been kind of told to just do one, really, hasn't he? Yeah, the, I mean, the narrative we <laughs> we thought about is he, he gave himself the job, but obviously corrected corrected today finally but you know Mark Bone won me around in lockdown I know the results weren't great but defensively they were a lot better and what Reading have needed for since Yapstam really is a bit of stability and Mark Bowen going into this season gave them that um, and he did do a fairly good job with what was a side put together you know there was a bit of Paul Clement there was a bit of uh, Jose Gomez there was a bit of Yapstam in there, you know, those different managers' influences on this on this Reading team and Mark Bowen got the best out of them other than the, the playoff final finish. It's it's their best it's their best season since then. Why would you why would you why would you unsettle that? I am not too sure. Um so, Justin, when you actually go through player for player and you go Raphael, decent decent yeah. enough keeper, Miazga, Moore, uh Morrison, good in the air, um uh the, the wing-backs, Richards mm-hmm. and Yardam. And yeah. then uh, Swift, you mentioned Rinomota and um, Ajaria is excellent. And then Pushkas and Maite, it's, it's, it's actually on paper, I can persuade myself that that's like a top eight, top eight level team. Well, you said, you know, Mark Bowen mid-table since he came in, that sort of form. And that's, that's, where, that's where they should have been aiming this season with the hope of finishing it higher. And as I say, that stability would have, would have helped, but they've pressed the reset button again, they're going again, and it doesn't make any sense to me. There's a lot of fans that were sort of like, yeah, you know, the football results were terrible post-lockdown, but how many teams could you have said? It was, it was either way with some of the teams. Um, uh, yeah, as when, when football returned and... Um, I just don't think it's a good decision. It's one that Reading, I think, are going to pay for. I really do. I think this might be the one that might have, that might, the straw that broke the camel back, camel's back. Finally got a saying right. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the interesting thing is that a lot of um, Reading supporters seem to be getting this vibe that they think this is going for broke. They want to get. Pro- the, the boards want to get promoted this season. But I see, I look at this Reading team and I, I do agree that it is a decent Reading team, but I don't think they're, I think they're half a team away from being fit to go for promotion. Do you agree, Ben? I've heard the same thing. Um, and how can I word this in legally correct terms that because of the possible absences of FFP, there may be some opportunities that could be exploited. Did I say that in a, in a, in a okay way, you know, you know what I'm saying, don't you? Loopholes, loopholes. Yeah, you, 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 you guys can't see the guys. They're both like, eh, "What's he going to say?" Gonna say? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree. It always depends on the in the championship. How many basket cases do you get? How many clubs that are, are going to get relegated, blow all their parachute money, sack their manager? Teams of Reading or you know Millwall were in eighth, Blackburn. They're essentially relying on four or five teams to cock up massively and them to have a really good season for them to be anywhere near the, the playoffs, really. Because we know with the financial imbalance that um, it's basically a failure if you're Bournemouth, Watford or Norwich, if you finish outside of the top six. You, given the advantage you have, you should be up there. So for someone like Reading, yes, um, 
possibly some sign-ins, possibly some good coaching, and you are relying on the ineptitude of others to um, place themselves below you rather than you above them, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Let's go on to some of the other bits of news. All the EFL games will be available to watch from home while matches are played behind closed doors or at limited capacity. It's part of a flexible framework which has been agreed with Sky Sports to allow all games not televised live to be streamed live which is nice, isn't it? Uh, and then QPR will be ground sharing with AFC Wimbledon until the, the uh, well, that will be for the first couple of months of the season. It's because the League One side were meant to move into a new ground, but that's not finished yet. So they're playing at the Kyan Prince Foundation Stadium for the time being, which is a bit weird because we now have two ground shares in the championship next season. Would you look at that? Mm. What a time to be alive. Do you think it really makes much of a difference? Because as we saw with Kov last season at uh, St Andrews, it didn't really make much of a difference. They stormed League One. What do you think, Justin? I mean, Birmingham City might have another uh, angle to that argument, given how bad they, what, they played. A few, a few Birmingham fans did say the pitch looked terrible mm. <laughs> about halfway through the season. It's, it's, it's never been a healthy pitch, has it, at St Andrews? It's never been oh. a, a very healthy pitch. I remember yeah, years ago, they were just laying sand down on sand, it. Sand, yeah, I remember yeah, that. And yeah. it was terrible. Um, I mean, that's that's obviously... The, the reason why it's a bad pitch is because that one occasion they they put sand on it. But um, <laughs> yeah, as I say, they might they might have arguments, um, but might work for QPR, might not. Out of interest, what do you think the best pitch is in the in the country at the moment? In the country, yeah. Any any idea on what are the best pitches? I mean, I can I can say that due to. Um, urination issues from my dogs it's not it's not the little square <laughs> of grass in, in my back garden leicester city always outperform everybody else you I can't think... tell you can't tell can you because if you if your floodlights are really nice and bright and you've watered <laughs> it it looks amazing and then you get down to ground level and you're like oh mm. it looks it looks a bit bumpy and rubbish but um that might be one for the players i think Ladies and gentlemen, if you ever want to have a chat about the quality of pitches in the Football <laughs> League, then this is the podcast for it. That brings us to an end of this show. Thank you for joining us today. Next week, we'll be doing our championship table predictions. Not sure how it's going to work yet. We'll, let, we'll keep you posted on Twitter. I've been Ryan Dilks. Ben, thank you for joining us today. Uh, you're very, very welcome. Please follow on YouTube at Benjamin Blue. Nice little plug. Justin, thank you for joining us today. No worries. We'll see you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.